Welcome back to another episode of the Max Term Podcast. Kyle Stitch here alongside James Finch, and today we're going to be talking about the Metropolitan Division. We've been running through the NHL, starting with the Pacific, moving into the Central, now we're in the Metropolitan, and our next episode will be a look at the Atlantic. If you missed either the look at the Pacific or Central Divisions, you can find it on Twitter, at MaxTermPod, or Max Term Podcast on all major podcast platforms. Any questions about anything we've discussed in this episode or any of our other episodes, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at Max Term Pod or at AFP Analytics. On the at AFP Analytics Twitter account, we also post our contract projections. So if you're interested in kind of where these numbers are coming from that we're talking about on projected contracts, or you're just curious where some of the players that you want your favorite team to uh, target are going to come in when free agency opens, feel free to uh, look at the contract projections there. As we say with every episode, any uh, ads that might appear with this podcast are not necessarily products that James and I agree with or endorse, as well as anything that we're talking about in these division previews. These are our opinions based off of a level of reporting that's publicly available, but we're not necessarily sharing any inside information or anything like that. So today, the Metropolitan Division, we're going to start with the the winner of this past season, the Carolina Hurricanes, who every year seem to have things going on, and every year one of those things going on seems to be their goaltending. Yeah, so Carolina's kind of one of those teams that uh, they don't make any really risky decisions long-term, so there's always some maneuverability there. Uh, looking at their goalies specifically, um, so they have Freddie Anderson and Antti Ranta as two UFA goalies. The good thing for Carolina is long term, they have a pretty solid uh, goaltending prospect. And I would even say at this point, he's starting to become less of a prospect because he's played well in the NHL. Um, that's a uh, Peter Kachikov, and uh, what's interesting about their goalie situation is even with Kachikov, there's some rumors out there that they might try to bring both Anderson and Ranta back. How do you feel about that from a roster standpoint? So I don't know if I'd bring back both Anderson and Ranta. It feels like you're using a roster spot plus a salary cap that I think could be spent better elsewhere. Maybe bring back one would be fine, but Peter Kachikov's showing that he's an NHL goalie. So they also signed him to a contract extension. Even though he's still waiver eligible, there's kind of an interesting and unique situation that will develop if they were to send Kachikov down. So Carolina is definitely a team that should be spending as close as possible to the cap. So I think every dollar of cap space is going to matter. So Kachikov is waiver exempt, meaning no other team can necessarily claim him. They can't take him from Carolina. But his cap hitting contract is currently $2 million a year. Normally, you are able to send waiver players down, and most waiver-exempt 
players are on kind of entry-level or minimum type contracts. Very few are exceeding what's known as kind of the buried cap threshold. The buried cap threshold, thanks to cap friendly, we had to do a little reading to figure this out, but it's all there and makes complete sense. The buried cap threshold is the NHL minimum salary, so 775000 this year, plus 350000 when you add those two together, you get to $1,150,000 in kind of exempt buried contract. So Kachikov's contract this next year is set to be $2 million. So if the Hurricanes were to send him down to the minors, he's still actually going to count against their cap for $850,000. His $2 million minus that $1 million one hundred fifty thousand dollars i don't really think that that's smart asset management especially when he's he's going to provide you value playing games i would be looking to bring back just maybe one of anderson aranta or even just pivoting even elsewhere if if the opportunity presents itself but i think one of those guys probably make the most sense at least in that to form a tandem with kachikov Moving, moving kind of around their roster, as usual, they still seem to have an incredibly strong blue line that I think a lot of teams would be envious of. But there's a couple names that are starting to be thrown around a little bit more in the rumor mill there. Yeah, so the, the first one to really talk about is Brett Pesci. Um, just over $4 million left on... His contract is one year. It's pretty much been said uh, in the media, at least, so some reports saying if they can't get an extension done with him, they're probably going to look to trade him, which isn't really a surprise. That's kind of fits the Carolina mantra of how they want to build their team. Um, if they're going to possibly lose someone without getting anything back for them, they're going to go down that road. Um, Brady Shea is another defenseman with only one year left, 5.25 AAV. I've seen a little bit less of him as far as trade rumors, uh, but they've got some interesting decisions to make, both um, extension-wise, trade-wise, um, if they are going to end up losing one, is it more likely that they would try to bring back a Shane Gosses bear who is a UFA this year? Um, definitely some questions and different options. Seems like though, the, just the system that they play that they can almost just plug anyone in there. Like Jalen Chatfield came out of absolutely nowhere to be a really, really good player for them this, this year. So, I think their system allows them to to kind of operate in that manner. So if they can get some good value for Brett Pesci, I think that's probably the more likely name to go out just because he, he's going to bring more value. He has no trade causes in, in that, I mean, he can be dealt anywhere. And Carolina really could use a little bit more firepower up front. I think we saw a little bit in the playoffs that won some of any Shreshikov got hurt, 
they were struggling a little bit to put to put the puck in the net. So yeah, they have Sebastian Aho and Tervo Tivo Teravainen, who are definite top line players. But after that, you you have some inconsistent young players, Martin Nekas and Seth Jarvis, who haven't fully taken that step forward. And those are kind of the names that are that are being relied on to score goals for this team. Yeah, I think they could definitely use, um, I'll, I'll call it a veteran forward. And I, I think that there's some decent ones in the UFA market that would kind of fit what they're looking for. Um, but this is also a team that traditionally, well, at least in recent years, they've drafted very well. They've been very smart from an asset management standpoint, and they could be active in the trade market as well. Um, a big thing to point out before we maybe look at a couple targets, um, the Hurricanes have one, two, three, four, five players um, signed beyond uh this coming season, or actually six when you uh, factor in Vasily Ponomarev, one of their prospect centermen, um, currently listed on their NHL roster on Cat Friendly. They have a lot of financial flexibility. Having said that, they're going to need to factor in extensions for guys like Sebastian Ajo, Tavo Teravainen maybe, um, even a, like the defenseman we talked about, a Brett Pesci or Bray Shea. Um, so they need to be mindful not to just spend all of their money, but they've definitely got space to work with. And uh, I, I think it would be smart to possibly look into the free agent market uh, this offseason and add it forward. Yeah, I think uh, Jason Zucker, or I think I really like the fit of Tyler Bertuzzi, kind of a relentless four-checker who's going to bring some grind, but also a lot more scoring ability than some of the guys uh, currently on that uh, um, on with that forward group there. If they were to move out of Brett Pesci, I, one team that's been talked a lot about is um, the Buffalo Sabres, who have really a surplus of forwards and some guys who are known to put the puck in the net. So Victor Victor Olson's not necessarily a centerpiece in a Brett Pesci trade, but he could be one of those guys that provides a level of secondary scoring in this Hurricanes lineup, and maybe some of the uh, players can cover up his uh, defensive deficiencies a little bit as well. Absolutely, and I think if we're going to talk about this idea of Pesci to Buffalo. I think if you're Carolina and you're looking at Buffalo, a couple names that I would have some interest in initially, I'd probably be looking at Casey Middlestat and possibly even Peyton Krebs as two guys who could maybe take over a, sl a slightly bigger role for Carolina than they currently are playing in Buffalo. Uh, Casey Middlestat finished very strong on the season. Um, but when looking at Carolina's uh, forwards, and specifically their center depth, Ajo is a clear number one. They don't have an obvious number two yet. Um, Kakaniemi was signed 
to do that and hasn't really taken that over. I assume they'll try to keep Jordan Stahl, but he's not the number two either. Um, I would wonder if Carolina would try to target a Casey Middlestat type player and see if he can fill that second line center role. Yeah, I think I think if Carolina was to go that route, I mean that might not even be all the pieces that they would need. But I'm definitely looking for Middlestat over Krebs. I think Krebs and Kautzniemi are very similar players, and you already have enough of those type of players if you're Carolina. So probably offensive upside is is where you lean if you are going to move a Brett Pesci. I mean, Buffalo's just one team. It makes a lot of sense from both teams. Carolina's dealing their strength from defense. Buffalo's dealing their strength from forward. But Brett Pesci's a great defenseman who's going to have other suitors as well. So moving through, moving on to the next team in the division is someone I think who has already really done their shopping is the Columbus Blue Jackets. So they're going to have a high pick this year. They were like almost cursed last year with injuries. It was unbelievable that it felt like day after day someone new was going on IR out for the season. They've added some nice pieces, at least in the draft recently. Kent Johnson, Cole Sillinger added, uh, of course, Johnny Goudreau and Patrick Laine. But some of the guys just haven't taken a step forward, which has continued to have them kind of dip into the trade and free agent market. Yeah, so I think that Columbus really wanted to make defense a priority this offseason, and they kind of got to it right away with, a sign-and-trade for Damon Severson, who, honestly, he got a couple years longer than we thought he was going to get. He got a max-term deal. Um, but the AAV was right about where we were thinking. We had him around 6.1, and he got 6.25. That's perfectly fine. Um, a pretty solid defenseman who can play on the top pair. Um what I didn't love was their trade that ended up bringing them uh, Provorov from Philadelphia. They were able to work it out to end up getting the LA Kings to retain a little bit of that Provorov deal, but I don't know if I'm a huge fan of him still at the 4.725. I think Columbus is really looking for uh, a change of scenery there to benefit Provorov. Um, but I, I think that they were really looking to retool their defense. They should have Zach Wierenski coming back off of injury and just hoping that they have some stronger defensive play in front of Merzlikens, uh, their, their goalie. Yeah. Do you, I, I'm not surprised that they brought in one name and, I guess Damon Severson's probably the better the better player to have brought in there. It seems like they've invested though a lot into the def- into the blue line since they traded Seth Jones last offseason. They brought in Eric Branson as a free agent, Jake Bean, Adam Boquist in trades. That's a lot of pieces there, and I don't know if if there. Are, cap space and asset management's being put in the right place. I mean, their forward group, yeah, they have Goudreau and Line, but 
outside of that, they're really hoping for some steps forward from some of their prospects, basically. Yeah, they're a little thin up front. Um, I kind of wonder, looking at their defense now, they could try and move someone out, try and flip them for a forward, maybe. Um, they've So, just on defense, Severson, Provorov, Goodbranson, Peak, Adam Bachwis, Nick Blankenberg. Um, we looked down on injured reserve on Cat Friendly, and it reminds us, oh, yeah, Zach Wierenski, Jake Bean. So there, there's a lot of NHL uh, defensemen there, and, well, I would say some of them might not play to a great level of performance, but uh, maybe they can move a piece, clear a little cap space from the defense, and apply it back up to the forwards. The problem is, is I don't think any of those are getting what Columbus needs at forward, and that's really a first-line center. I mean, yeah, those they don't grow on trees. Maybe a Mark Shifley from Winnipeg, if you're really trying to push your chips in quickly, maybe you could bring him in on a sh- um, with some retained salary by Winnipeg. But I I don't know. Columbus, Columbus needs a center, maybe even two centers, and none of those names on the blue line are going to necessarily fetch that alone. So unless a Kent Johnson or Cole Sillinger can kind of take a step forward, I think, unfortunately, it's going to be much of the same up front uh, with the Blue Jackets. So continuing our look through the division, team on the rise but has some work to maybe do or either work or an opportunity this offseason, the New Jersey Devils. So... They've been linked pretty heavily to Connor Halbuck. They've been really linked to in in on most of the big names the past couple offseasons. They brought in Dougie Hamilton, and at the deadline they acquired Timo Meyer. They have a great one-two punch down the middle, but it's kind of filling out the roster uh, besides those guys. Yeah, so I, I think Meyer's probably the focus right now after getting uh, Jesper Bratt uh, signed to an extension. Ryan Graves is a UFA. That's kind of a big piece that they could be missing um, if he signs elsewhere. That being said, it kind of seems like the talk of New Jersey is can they improve the goaltending? And like you said, there was a lot of rumors about Hellebuck and that honestly might be the best fit for Hellebuck. I, I think a lot of people are expecting New Jersey to be a very big player again this offseason. Other than a goalie, I don't. I, I think they're going to be fairly status quo um, on defense. I think maybe if they lose a couple of their middle six forwards they could bring in some other middle six forwards but to me it would make sense to try and keep guys like Eric Howla and Tomas Tatar uh, they were great fits on this team um, but if they get squeezed out cap wise uh, they've got some decent prospects coming uh, Alexander Holtz is still there uh, made it through some of their trades that they made the big one for Timo Meyer um, so they're, they're in a pretty good spot 
uh, regardless of what happens with the pending free agents. Yeah, I think I think Timo Myers really the kind of elephant in the room with New Jersey. It seemed when he was traded that it was a foregone conclusion that he was gonna, you know, just get that long term deal, and that hasn't happened. And now it's seeming more and more likely that New Jersey's gonna file for arbitration. So he he's gonna be back with the team next year. It's gonna prevent another team from offer shooting him, but more than likely, if they go the arbitration route, he's going to end up with a one-year one deal, which is going to walk him right to unrestricted free agency. So he's going to be – so he wasn't a peer rental, but it's shaping up like he might be a you know, year-and-a-half rental. Maybe they try and recoup some value at some point from him, but they, as you said, they have enough – they still have the prospects in their pool both at forward, a little bit thinner on defense, but enough there where they should be good. It really is going to depend on how much they can get Connor Hellbuck for, but I agree. He makes a lot of sense from a long-term standpoint for them, although if they do commit that $9 million, cap space is going to dry up pretty quickly in the next couple of years, especially as more and more of their young guys need new contracts. Yeah, the the big name, as far as a, a young player that's been doing really well for them this past year, Dawson Mercer is kind of the one that sticks out, where it, even if he doesn't take another step, which I think that might be in him to go to a, even another level, um, he's going to have a fairly sizable contract. As far as New Jersey's concerned, they've got some different options to work with this offseason. Um, they just need to be mindful that like you said, a, a big move like Hellebuck and an extension for Hellebuck, it could start making it a little tougher year to year to uh, retain the players that they have. Yeah, so uh, teams that uh, have been living kind of close to the cap and trying to retain all their players year to year, the New York Islanders here, it seems like, I mean, they're – not exciting to necessarily watch on the ice, sorry. And they're really not going to be really exciting to talk about because it sounds like Lou Lamarella wants to run it back again. And that's been the MO from the Islanders front office these past couple of years is bring in a couple guys at the deadline, wait until August, and then announce all your free agent signings and somehow be still under the salary cap but not really make your team better. Yeah, so uh, the the one move I've seen rumored is that maybe they try and move uh, Josh Bailey, who has a $5 million cap hit, just to free some space, because right now they're, they're only sitting at $4.5 million uh, to work with. Pierre Engvall is a UFA, uh, Scott Mayfield, right-hand shot defenseman. He's a UFA, and then uh, I'm assuming that they're interested in keeping Semyon Varlamov, the very, very strong backup goaltender to Sorokin. Um, they're not going to be able to keep Varlamov, Mayfield, and Engvall with that $4.5 million, so maybe trying to move the Josh Bailey deal would help, but... Uh, yeah, I think they're going to kind of try to keep the same roster they've had. Uh, it works for what they try to do on the ice every year, 
I kind of have to remind myself at the beginning of every season that, oh yeah, the Islanders actually are going to be decent because they're not fun to watch. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's going to be fairly status quo. Yeah, we have both Engel and Mayfield projected right around $4 million, so without a move, it seems like it, at best, is one or the other. Varlamov might be able to come, they might be able to get him back uh, cheaply. We talked a little bit about him in the fourth episode um, of our podcast when we talked about the goalie market. So, it's in, it's Ingolf and Mayfield maybe is, is where the decision lies if they want to try to run it back. Otherwise, Islanders, probably pretty status quo. quo. Oliver Wallstrom needs a new contract, but that's probably not necessarily eating much into the cap space. So the they're kind of crosstown rivals, if you will. The New York Rangers have cap space to work with, but that space is going to get eaten up probably quickly with the Keandre Miller uh, new contract, basically. Yeah, so Miller is a clear top four defenseman, and I, I think for a lot of teams he would probably slide in on their top pair. Um, having said that, for the New York Rangers, they're going to have an interesting decision to make because – they're paying Adam Fox big time. They're paying Jacob Truba big time. Ryan Lindgren is not being paid big time. He's probably being paid a fairly valuable amount in a uh, team building aspect. I'd um, say Lin- I'd say Lindgren uh, isn't necessarily going to break the bank going forward just because he doesn't necessarily put up those box score numbers anyways. Absolutely, but he he can be a very solid partner to one of these, uh, I, I guess, more offensively gifted defensemen. Um, part of the issue is if you are the Rangers and you're looking at Keandre Miller, on a long-term deal, you're, you're probably looking at at least $5 million a year, but I, I think he could push for a little bit higher than that. And part of their issue is they've struggled to find the right group of forwards to continue with long-term. Um, they brought in Patrick Kane and... Vladimir Tarasenko at the deadline, and I don't know if either one of those players is going to be back in New York. I think the big, I think the big issue the Rangers had. So yeah, Mika Zibanejad's a really good center. I don't know if he's quite enough on a, you know, a Stanley Cup contender. Philip Heedle's been continuing to develop, and he's turned into a nice center as well. Trocheck's a nice kind of middle six center. But none of those guys are necessarily, I don't know, I'm not completely afraid of matching up against any of them if I'm if I'm another really quality team. And then their wingers, Artemi Panarin is one of the best wingers in the NHL, one of the best playmakers in the NHL. But once you get past him, you need some of those young guys to take a step forward, and they haven't done that yet. I mean, Alexis Lafreniere, Capo Caco, 
those those should be your they should be at this point your top line if if not your top line your second line because you're trying to spread a little bit of depth through the lineup and they're really at best third line players at this point in their career and that's kind of what's hurting the rangers yeah it's a little concerning because just from a draft pedigree you, you would think those guys are providing huge value right now and they're not uh like you said they're they're basically third line players and I guess that's fine. Every team is going to need third-line players, but those guys are kind of expected to turn into the top six wingers that are producing and ultimately pushing them into the playoffs, deep into the playoffs, and win a championship. And so far, they haven't really developed into that level of player. Um, And because of that, there's... I, I would I don't even want to say there's a hole in their forward group. There's kind of multiple holes. They could use multiple top six forwards. And cap space-wise, they don't really have that ability, especially when you consider, like we were saying, the Camandre Miller situation. As soon as he gets a deal, you might have space for a middle six winger. And then your cap space is pretty much gone. Yeah, and I think this team, at least up front, needs more than just a middle six winger. So, yeah, because they haven't developed, or at least the young guys haven't developed how they kind of need them to, The they've had to pay a little bit more to kind of try and fill that forward group, which has really hurt their bottom line depth. And the Rangers have struggled to roll out four good lines all year. So they have Barkley Goudreau, who's who's perfectly fine for, for kind of a depth player, but outside of him, they've just re- had a revolving door, and it would be great for them to be able to get into the market for like a Nola Chari or Garnett Hathaway. We saw, I always liked the fit of Zemgis Gergensen's with them as well, but he went back to Buffalo already. So... I don't know if they're going to be able to afford, though, a Hathaway or a Chari because they're spending money. They're going to need to spend money on really one of those middle six wingers, plus, of course, Keandre Miller. I think the question is, do you have to kind of bite the bullet and trade Miller, who's your valuable asset, to get that forward that you abs- that you kind of desperately need? Well, because you do have Braden Schneider and then... Um, Zach Jones as well in the in kind of the pipeline. So defensively, you have the depth and you have the quality. Offensively, you have enough quality, but not the depth, and you really could use more quality. Yeah, I definitely agree, and I think Miller would be one of the more sought-after defensemen this offseason if he was made available, um, both from a performance standpoint and just the contract situation. There's a lot of teams that could use a defenseman of his caliber and they'd be able to get him signed, I would assume, to a pretty nice long-term deal. Yeah, so next team up in the division, I don't even have kind of a fun transition because I don't know what to make of the next team that we're going to talk about, the Philadelphia Flyers. Seem to be fire sales, seem like everyone's available. Scott Lawton's apparently like the hottest name in the trade market right now. 
I wouldn't give up anywhere near what the rumored prices have been. It looks like Danny Breer has been turning down first-round picks for a 29-year-old player who's not factoring into their future plans. I think that's absolutely crazy. The most recent thing I've seen was a supposedly rumored a St. Louis offer of a first-round pick and a second-round pick. And it was turned down, and that to me is insane for Scott Lawton. He's a good player, but I, I think he's a very good third liner, and that is that is some crazy value that they'd be getting in return for him. I also question what St. Louis is thinking that they need to give up that for that player when I don't even know if he's fitting into what they're trying to accomplish there, anyways. But that's that's. That's a different story. We yeah. already talked about the Central Division. Yeah, I think just looking at Philadelphia, they, to me, they're a fun team because I like the chaos of trades and buying people out of their contracts and just, yeah, just that offseason chaos. And I think just looking down the lineup, Kevin Hayes, Travis Konechny, Scott Lawton, you mentioned or we talked about obviously um there's questions about travis sanheim even though he's just starting his new deal they supposedly want to move anthony d'angelo um what's going on with carter hart and goal that's a big question for me yeah carter hart it's it's tough because 24 years old you would think that even if you do kind of do a rebuild retool Four years, 28 is not necessarily old for a goalie, especially if you can kind of limit his minutes the next couple of years. So being anxious to trade him is, I don't know if that's the move that I would necessarily make. I can understand, like, okay, he was a he was a top prospect, had showed some flashes early on and kind of hasn't developed like you wanted to. Maybe, maybe a fresh start makes sense, but I don't, I don't like the idea of trading a 24-year-old goalie when, yeah, they have a couple other guys in the pipeline, but I I just, I don't like the, I, I just don't like that idea a ton, but it seems like it's inevitable that it's going to happen. I think that there's a couple of things here that I'm thinking of. Um, first off is there. Does he want to be there if they're rebuilding? If it takes, like you said, four years, let's say he's 28, he at some point will become uh, eligible for unrestricted free agency. So at some point there will be a conversation. That being said, that conversation doesn't have to be this offseason. He will still be an RFA, albeit with arbitration rights, but they will still have his rights next offseason this isn't a decision they need to make now i think that unless they get blown away with an offer that they can't turn down it's not something they should be rushing yeah i i still think the writing's on the wall um basically taking cal peterson uh back in that in that trade that when they uh shipped out um provorov to me it kind of signals that yeah, we're we're moving Carter Hart because otherwise I don't know why you're so willing to take to bring in another goalie. You have a couple other guys, Felix Sandstrom and Sam Er 
Erickson, who who both have shown some level of promise that I think you want to get some games. And if you have Peterson, Hart, Sandstrom, Erickson, one of those guys, well, two of those guys are playing backup minutes in the NHL, AHL, or someone's going down to the ECHL. I don't know. It just feels like Peterson, Sandstrom on the NHL roster with Erickson playing the most the games in the AHL and then Hart elsewhere seems to be the plan. Yeah, I think that uh, it, it is one of those moves that seems inevitable. I just, I, I don't know if that is managed perfectly, in my opinion. I, I feel like that that's a move that they've got to be careful with and make sure that they truly get the value that they should be getting. Um, Carter Hart, I think a lot of people believe he has the potential to be a true number one, that he's not quite there yet. But uh, showing signs of promise on a team, that was not good. So definitely a player to target for any team that is in need of a starting goaltender. I, I think I'll wrap up the Flyers by saying this. I think the Flyers have needed to really tear it down for a while, and if they're finally going to do it, good for them. Even if it does mean shipping out maybe a couple pieces, we don't necessarily agree with them trading. But I think it. I think it's been needed for a long, long time because they just haven't had the top end talent that they needed to to really compete for a Stanley Cup. I do want to say good job, Danny Briere, on that Provorov trade. Um, bringing back Cal Peterson, that's fine for two years. Um, you're rebuilding that five million. That's okay, and they've got some decent assets in that trade. So, if if that's the start to the rebuild, they're on the right track. So the uh, team that is definitely should definitely not be real be rebuilding, but their previous GM kind of thought they should be to an extent. The Pittsburgh Penguins, they still have Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, and really they have Malkin and Letang under contract for really good, favorable amounts, yet Ron Hextall last year just couldn't put enough around them and then dug them an even worse hole with, oh, the $5 million for two more years of Mikel Granlund. Yeah, that was an interesting trade at the time because I think a lot of question marks started to pop up of, like, why would you make that move? And it's kind of funny from the outside now that uh, they've got to deal with that. Um but yeah, so like you were saying, this is a team that their core is still around. You mentioned Crosby, Malkin, Latang. They're going to keep trying to win until those three are done. And they've got some decent support around them. And Jake Gensel, Brian Rust. Um, Ricard Raquel, I think, is a sneaky good player. But that $5 million AV is... Probably as high as I would want to go with him, and I start to wonder if that is some caps. If they could be using his cap space elsewhere a little bit. Um, yeah, I I look at Granlund, I look at Raquel, and then I look at a player who's a UFA for them, Jason Zucker, who's we have projected right around that $5 million. If they're kind of forced to 
keep those two guys and lose Zucker, I think that's that's kind of a problem because I think Zucker is the best of those three players. So the, the, the thing that I think that Pittsburgh has going for them is the amount of cap space they have to work with this offseason, just over $20 million. I feel like that's more than they've had in a while. Even So even with the Granlin trade, bringing him in, I feel like you think it'd be worse of a situation for Pittsburgh. Um, I could see maybe they could try to bring Zucker back. I don't know. Um, Brian Dumoulin, he's a UFA. They could try to bring him back. I think he'd be a solid uh, second-pair defenseman still. I don't know if they're going to do that. Kyle Dubas, coming in his first year with Pittsburgh, could try to retool this a little bit and just bring in some fresh names and give it his own little spin here. The big spot that really jumps out to me with Pittsburgh is their goaltending situation because they've got Casey DeSmith still at $1.8 He's really more of a backup right now at this point. And uh, Tristan Jari's the big decision to make, UFA. Yeah, I think you look for other options, especially with what we have projected Jari at. I think if I'm Pittsburgh... I don't know if I have the assets to make this work, but why not try and take a one-year gamble on Connor Hellebuck? Like, $6 million, you can fit that easily. I would I would rather roll the dice, even if it's purely a one-year rental. That, that elite goalie that you could bring in, that might be enough to win a cup if, you, if like, some of your other core guys can stay healthy. So, I don't, again, I don't know if they have the assets to do so so it might take their first round pick but i think that's fine i'm 100 percent on board with the hellebuck idea i think that they could really use that true number one and um they would still have room for other moves that would bring their 20 million cap space down to 14 you can still retain or sign a middle six forward you can still make sure you have a number four defenseman, whether it's Dumoulin or someone else. Um, they aren't backs against the wall like they have been in past off seasons with cap space. They they have options, and yeah, I, I agree. I I had a hundred percent being on Hellebuck. Yeah, I think just like the we talked about a little bit with the Rangers, another place Pittsburgh's just been lacking in recent years is is filling out the bottom of their lineup. Again, some of those same names I just said a minute ago, a Nola Chari or a Garnett Hathaway would be a really nice kind of depth piece. I think I like Achari a little bit better here with some center flexibility. With Jeff Carter being a little bit of a question mark, that's another kind of questionable contract indecision by Ron Hextall. But Pittsburgh would be smart to use some of this cap space. Maybe not spend on one big guy even if that does maybe cost them a Jason Zucker, but use that $5 million, 5.5, whatever, and get two depth guys that are going to help fill out the bottom of your lineup. And I think the last team in the division is is a team that we can basically say the exact same thing about, is they're a team still in a win-now mode because they still have their core star players. The Washington Capitals still have Ovechkin, they still have Backstrom, still have T.J. Oshie, and even Aveni Kuznetsov, 
has been around a while at this point, which just seems absolutely crazy to me. Yeah, this is uh, a very similar team. The one thing that is different about their situation, though, this offseason is the cap space. So they, uh, according to Cap Friendly, have about 7.3 in cap space. So there's a bit less room to work with. That being said, when I look at the forwards for Washington, I feel like they're already kind of set. They're a little bit deeper. We've also seen some rumors about Anthony Mantha either being moved or even possibly bought out. It just has not worked for him in Washington. And um, regardless of what happens there, if they were to move him, that frees up some space uh, to work with. I think if I'm Washington, i maybe try to keep a Connor Sheary. Maybe try and, if he's gone, add a bottom six guy. My focus would be bringing in a defenseman. I think they're a little thin there after moving Orlov, and they had uh, Eric Gustafson uh, this past season. They traded him as well. and They've got some good names on defense, and really they have six NHLers under control, but I, I feel like they could really uh, benefit from adding a second pair of defensemen. A left shot would be ideal because they've got Carlson, Jensen, and Van Riemsdyk down the right side. Yeah, I mean, I think the ideal candidate there is Ryan Graves, but I don't know if they have the cap space necessarily. They could, but that would be their move. Is that enough of a move? I think it could be. and It's really going to depend on what happens with Anthony Mantha. Um, I think he's kind of the obvious candidate to move off the roster as far as clearing cap space. Um, is that enough? I I don't know. I They really just need to make sure they have a healthy season out of everyone. I mean, that's Ovechkin, Backstrom, Kuznetsov, Tom Wilson getting a full healthy season. Um, I think all the pieces are there. They just all need to click. Yeah, I... I mean, they, they probably could fit Ryan Graves without moving anyone out, but they would be tight and really stretching their depth if they if they did make that move because we have them right around $5 million. So, yeah, I mean, you're if you bring in Ryan Graves, you're probably paying him 5 and the way the market's shaping up, you might have to go a little bit more than that even. And then you are maybe able to bring back a Connor Sheary but then you're really juggling some of your kind of forwards throughout the year, especially. Uh, one player to not overlook is Fairview um, on the defense. We've got him projected at about two years, two and a half million. Um, a solid player, and that's going to eat into a little bit of that cap space as well. Yeah, it's Washington ideally would like to probably add like a Ryan Graves. Maybe they can do it by sending a guy out. They actually have built up some kind of nice forward depth in their organization, so maybe there's there's a potential to bring up a couple guys from the uh, you know Calder Cup winning Hershey Bears. And they also have Ivan Miroshchenko as well, who could be an interesting uh, prospect now that he's healthy past uh, some of his cancer struggles and everything. So that's kind of our look at the uh, Metropolitan Division. 
maybe not quite as exciting as I think some of the teams have already made their moves or they're the New York Islanders. And with, uh, yeah, if you have any questions, thoughts, want to uh, express your opinion, at AFP Analytics, at MaxTermPod on Twitter. We appreciate you uh, subscribing to uh, this podcast on any of the platforms you might uh, consume it on. And uh, with that, we'll talk to you next time when we look at the Atlantic Division.